It's time for another episode of Real True Facts, the Real True Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Eliza Cuthbert. And I am Howard Lovecraft. Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. No. No, yeah, it is our final week of the Real True Facts Monster Mash, and we have saved your favorite for last. We want to suck your blood. Tonight's show is dedicated entirely to vampires. Yes, uh, Dracula... And all the other famous ones that I can't think of at the moment. <laughs> There's um, a lot of them. Yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just trying not to think of uh, Twilight. And, right. You know, but other than that, they're there's they're famous ones. Nosferatu. Yeah. Um, uh, Antonio Banderas in uh, that uh, movie about vampires. Yeah. Um, David Boreanaz, Angel, Buffy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Vampire Hunters. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was always, I have to admit, I'm probably in the minority. I was always a fan of the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh. with uh, Paul Rubens. Yes. And, yeah. He was the best part. It was Luke Perry was in there too. Yes. Yeah. He was as well. Probably Was he still playing a high school student? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think, uh, yes. you know, up until his untimely um, demise, he was yeah. uh, forever playing uh, high school student. Hopefully, uh, he's you know portraying a high school student up in heaven now. Oh, hopefully, rest in peace. Um, yeah, I mean, Buffy, very campy. The show. I mean, obviously, one of my biggest influences uh, creatively. Um, I love that. So that's where most of my vampire lore comes from. I'm, mm. I'm kind of, uh, you know, that, that's sort of gospel for me. So, you know, you stake them through the heart, they turn to dust, no sunlight, none of the sparkly stuff. You know, I don't know where that originated, but, you know, no sunlight, crucifix, good times there. Um, you know, we've, we've got many different levels of vampires. You've got your, you know, master and you've got your sires and all these things. So that's sort of where I'm gathering all my knowledge. I do have to admit, uh, what is it? What we do in the shadows? Or oh something? yeah, that uh, would probably be my um, my most modern influence. I did enjoy the the film and the uh, the TV show, so I have to, I, I forgot about that. And uh, one of my, I think the most uh, most realistic portrayals of a uh, vampire in uh, was in that show with the kind of emotional vampire. I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> yes, but yes. Um, you know when I see that, that's perhaps too prevalent, you know, it's, uh, you know, that, that might be people you encounter many times every day. Um, so I, you know, maybe there, that, that can't be very rare after all. Well, the psychic vampires, we know those exist, you know, they, they suck out all the good vibes in the room and leave you with a bad feeling. You you meet someone and you just feel exhausted after that. You know, that's an emotional vampire. That's a psychic vampire. So we know those exist for sure. Uh, But what do you think about Dracula? He's sort of our OG here when we talk about the monster mash. Um, You know, we we ran a poll on our Instagram of who your favorite monster was. And we were split right down the middle of uh, Frankenstein's monster and Dracula was 50-50. So we decided to save uh, him for the end, but, you know, I was curious, um, Howard, just, uh, you know, what, what do you think about Dracula? Like, where are you with that? I think he falls into that realm of, uh, you know, historical fiction where it really is based on some truth, uh, you know, whether it's Vlad the Impaler. I, you know, uh, times are crazy now and uh, have always been. And so I, I just have to imagine people would, uh, you know, whether it's drink blood, suck blood, bathe in blood, ah, someone's done it. And um, I guess the the question might come into play uh, as far as uh, maybe some of the details, right? Some of the semantics, um, you know, can anyone really have the fangs and suck blood and live off of it? And, you know, and that kind of stuff, maybe, you know, maybe that's where it gets caught up. But I, you know, I, I got to say there are definitely people who have tried it. Um you know, and so uh, I guess we'll, um, you know, have to find out where where fact and fiction, um, you know, intertwine. What do you What do you think, uh, Eliza? I mean, are you just like, yes, vampires are one hundred percent real in their most traditional form, or uh, Dracula was, um, 
you know, uh, he wore really cool capes and uh, it was 100% OG vampire. Oh, you can't deny the coolness factor of the cape. So in that case, I mean, yes, and Dracula definitely did exist. But in the other cases, I'm not sure. I, you know, I'm skeptical about that stuff because when you look at Dracula in his most original form, you know, you have this, this uh, almost noble person in a castle sequestered away, uh, cursed, doomed to eternal life, uh, desperate for human interaction. And, uh, you know, he becomes obsessed with his victims. He can shapeshift mm-hmm. into a bat. He wants to drain their life force, but also add them to his coven of brides, which he might feed off of still. I mean, because there's there's so many liberties that have been taken with the story over the years. And there's been so many versions and sexy versions and horrific versions. Uh, so I really don't know what the definite um, version of Dracula is. I mean, I, I'm very open to it. I, I know people are fascinated with vampires. They are obsessed with them. Uh, if only in the way they supposedly dress and act. Uh, when I think about vampirism, I think about the nineties a lot that that was very popular with the goth yeah, scene goth and hot topic. Yeah. Right. The, you know, and Angelina Jolie with the bottle of vial of blood, she kept around her neck. That was, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's like, you know, there's very just vampiristic activities mm. going on over the mm. years. So I know people, are obsessed with that. And, you know, I say obsessed and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that it's so ingrained in our culture and we have romanticized it to a point. So I know it exists, but in the way that we're talking about, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. It makes me wonder if, if the whole goth movement uh, would, could, would and could exist without vampires. Yeah. I feel like if we took, vampires out of goth culture or even our own society a lot of things that we have would just fall apart so maybe they're deeper ingrained than we thought yeah i i think they're they are pretty uh deeply ingrained and i'm kind of curious uh we're talking about you know what uh what makes a vampire and uh, one thing that came to my mind was mosquitoes oh and I don't know what that exactly means, but, you know, mosquitoes live off of blood. They so do. could a vampire just be a giant mosquito? And so that makes me kind of think of animals and biology and stuff. So I, I think, I mean, maybe we should talk about the biology if we can get a hold of Dr. Seymour. I think we should. I think we should. Sometimes the signal's a little patchy down in the bookers. Let me see if I can get through the mainframe and get him up here. Dr. Seymour, are you here? Yes, I am. Ah, Good to hear from you. Yes. Great to have you. We're we're just discussing vampires, and I mm. thought of mosquitoes. And um, mosquitoes, they live off of blood. for That's their main source of sustenance, right? And so makes me wonder if a bigger creature or if there are any other creatures that we may not be aware of, uh, you know, have those kind of similar tendencies or operate in the same way. Yes, um, mosquitoes are kind of our, um, especially when we when we have the time to venture outside and maybe summer or fall. They're our most notorious blood sucking uh, pests. There, they do live off of blood. Um, actually, the female mosquito lives off of blood, um, and that's only. It's not a year round thing. So this is an interesting. It's it's not just oh mosquitoes like the smell of sunscreen or something. So mosquitoes, mm. they, they do, um, there are other s- ways they can get their sustenance. Um, but mosquito, female mosquitoes in order to reproduce and to, uh, to make eggs need blood. So it's an important part, um, for that species of their reproduction. Mm. Uh, wow. So are there any other animals in the animal kingdom that may maybe not own, uh, drink uh, blood or use blood as their only form of nutrition or sustenance, but but that just uh, that use it as well? Yeah. So um, probably a couple that once once we say them, you'll be like, oh, of course. Uh, but fleas um, mm. do some oh, blood. Normally we course. think of them animal blood. Leeches are notorious for sucking blood as well. Um, uh, you know, medically speaking, or if you, if we want to call it pseudo medicine over, over time, they've been used 
intentionally for that. Yes. Um, so a couple different insects that do it, but there are actually a few um, few birds that um, live off of the blood of animals. They're kind of um, they're. Uh, uh, much like a mosquito, it, it's not their only source of sustenance, but it is very intentional and very definite um, a source of certain vitamins for these birds. Oh, wow. And of course, we're talking about birds pre-year 2000, right? Pre-year 2000, yes. Yeah. So um, classic um, biological birds. And of course, we have um, seen the government adapt to mimic that, yeah. so even those traits as well. If you can believe it, one of one of the birds, um, especially topical here, um, that does classically um, use blood for part of its sustenance is called a vampire finch. Oh. Mm, so, uh, with the the government and other entities being able to use these birds for their purposes, that that could be a perfect way to, uh, you know, get blood samples uh, from all over the world. Um, mm -hmm. And twenty uh, three and me, yeah. Yep, and uh, yeah, the you know we we just assume that um, you know the the gene testing kits that we send in gives the government a good database, but they've already been doing it with their um, artificial birds uh, gathering up uh, samples in the wild from us and other animals. It sounds like yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the nanotechnology is um, getting to the point where the fleas is the fleas and the um, the mosquitoes are supporting that as well. There's so much more. Um, testing you can do for your dogs now for their mm -hmm. DNA that it really makes sense to be a crossover with the, with the fleas. Yeah. Yeah. Fleas live on dogs. Um, now you brought up the vampire birds, but you know, the big one, vampire bats, we know those are real, um, could be an influence on the uh, human vampire mythology. Uh, but I read somewhere that vampire bats don't actually suck blood. They Vampire bats are real. Vampire bats, I was, I was getting to this as the stunning, you know, reveal or climax. Oh, yes. They live, they're the only species that lives only on blood. I see. But, yeah, it comes down to the definition of what do we consider sucking blood. They drink blood they lick blood but they don't have kind of a, a straw-like mechanism or fangs that draw it in so like a leech sucks blood a mosquito sucks blood the vampire mm. bat bites you it has fangs but then it licks the blood up so it, it seems like we got a little bit in the uh, in the in the human vampire um I don't want to say mythology, I'll say story or narrative, mm -hmm. um, because to, to say that it's totally a myth, um, we, we've learned our lesson there. But there's definitely some some crossover of some different stories or different animals that we've seen and animals that are very real. Wow. That's so <laughs> We're getting to <laughs> where you can just hear our gears oh, yeah, turning. Yeah, we're yeah, as we're thinking now, I've heard of uh, a proboscis, right? That's a like a, a tube or a, or yeah, a, the... a mammal thing used for sucking blood. So it makes me wonder if, um, you know, if uh, proboscis was a, a small thing in a mouth that a mammal had, if that could really, you know, like a tooth uh, like or a, you know, a needle. Yeah, or a fang. Mm -hmm then, you know, maybe we're closer to a genetic mutation that leads to a, a human or larger mammal uh, vampire that uh, just, you know, goes around and uh, sucks blood. I, I do think that that's very reasonable. Um, we've, we see in reptiles fangs that can excrete liquid. So I don't know why a, a mechanism doing the opposite isn't just as reasonable. Oh, good point. Yeah, reptiles. Uh, yeah, they have uh, sacs uh, that excrete venom, and they're those fangs are tubular. Yeah, and uh, they shoot it out. And so, what's to say, uh, uh, you know, an animal can't shoot it back in or suck no. it right out? It's it's wow. there. It's there. Uh, I want to talk for a minute um, 
about the light sensitivity because one of the things about vampires is that they cannot go out during the day. Uh, they will burst into flames. Um, so we're looking at something that is completely nocturnal to the point where daylight kills them. Is there anything in the animal kingdom that's like that? I mean, I know we're, we deal with nocturnal things, but is there such a serious, I guess, photo photosynthesis, photosensitivity um, in there that would cause something to die if it was exposed to sunlight? Um, there are in very um, kind of rare, extreme cases of photosensitivity um, where the 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 pigment of the skin can be so extreme one way or another um where the sensitivity um is such that kind of um we could think you know a baby's skin for example you know we've got all the spf 50s for them um, because their skin hasn't been weathered or exposed to it well we could take that further in terms of lack of exposure and then you've got your really fair skinned people who, you know, who burn um, when they stand next to the microwave, if you will. And if you get the, the right cross of those, um, you can get very, very extreme reactions to sun. I don't know that we've seen in a human um, the, the way we normally describe it in a vampire but i also don't know that we would see that human out and about very often mm -hmm. mm. yeah it would be that would be one difficult thing to, to to prove because of years of uh um of evolution you know leading uh any any being that may be susceptible to that to actually to you know have uh, some pretty decent uh, defenses to make sure that doesn't happen um mm -hmm. it makes me wonder you know perhaps uh Perhaps Dracula was a was a ginger. We don't really see that portrayed. <laughs> Perhaps we don't see it portrayed. But uh, you know the way we describe the skin pigmentation and the photosensitivity. You know, I'm thinking that uh, you know maybe Dracula or some of the famous vampires that weren't portrayed as such were you know could have been um, gingers or, or redheads. I'm not sure what the technical term is, but uh, I think it is all of the recessive traits all at once. <laughs> You don't have any dominant traits. It's like all, all the things that skip generations, they all compile in one person. And then I guess that's how you would get a vampire. Yeah, it's very reasonable. You, um, The blood, the necessity to do blood could be something with iron deficiencies as they build up. Um, just a, a lot of the a lot of the traits that we try to breed out, if we, if we bred them back in, would create very real weaknesses that would take a an a, a very specific set of adaptations to overcome. Hmm. Mm, interesting, interesting. Wow. Uh, here's one for you. One one last question before we send you back down into the bunker. Can human beings survive off of blood? It's a very interesting question, and the answer uh, I can't think of any reason why the answer would be no. We're very um, hesitant, I guess, to jump in to say, yes, yes, they can for sure. But to think of what deficiency may be there in terms of nutrients, in terms of hydration, in terms of um, the essential building blocks of life, I don't know what would be missing. But um, it, it would be something that would be hard to support without experimentation that it wouldn't work so it's it's very possible so when we have all of these people that are fascinated with the vampires and they want to live that way and some people even do resort to drinking blood or even in tiny amounts i guess those people could be technically considered vampires and living in that way yes um yeah the 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 traits the the um what do i want to call them the nuances the the characteristics that they are taking on that are maybe 
a cause and effect, not just a cause, not just the effect, but kind of a, a cycle there um, of doing the behaviors and then the behaviors um, causing a specific outcome that only accelerates the behavior more, if you will, um, could be a, a cycle and people who, who dabble in that might be uh, getting into a dangerous game. Wow. Dr. Seymour, thank you so much for coming out of the Science Bunker to talk to us about this right now. Yeah, it was, it was great to um, catch up with you and can't wait to hear from you again soon. Thank you all. Good sitting back down in the Science Bunker. And why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll meet our very special guest today. Welcome back to the Real True Facts Monster Mash. Our guest tonight goes by the nickname Doc French, and he is the foremost expert on Dracula from the American Vampirism Institute of Research. I believe that's the, the AVIR. Uh, please welcome Doc French to the show. Oh, thank, thank you. It's a good yeah. pleasure to be here. Ple pleasure. Hi, how are you? Yeah. Thank you for coming uh, on. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm pretty good. Uh, having a pretty good night. How good. are you? Oh, we're fantastic. You know, we are really enjoying our show. We just talked to Dr. Seymour. I know you, you flew in um, from the Institute, yeah. so you just yeah. got here. So thank you so much for just dropping everything and coming yeah. on the show. Well, uh, trustees, uh, board, board of trustee meeting went a little long, so uh, sorry for, for just getting in here at the last minute. But uh, happy to be here. You know, always a big fan of the show, so I'm glad to, glad to be a guest. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, with something as as popular and uh, sensational as vampires, you know, there are a lot of experts saying, "Oh, yeah, yeah, have me on." Uh, you know, real true facts. I'll, I want to, you know, I want to break it wide open. I want to tell you what I've learned. You know, I'm an expert. I know this. I know that. But we, you know, we're like, no, we got to stick with with mm -hmm. Doc French because. You know, it's uh, because he really lays down a lot of the science and the and the facts when it comes to to vampirism and can really back things up. Unlike you know, um, you know, a lot of folks who seem to be a little bit uh, more speculative and don't yeah. necessarily have the research that a research institute can offer. Well, yeah. that's one thing about the research institute is that we really we focus on the research and in researching we are able to you know that's how we learn. So yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so you are an expert on Dracula. Um, I imagine there's lots of different kinds of vampires out there, but you have dedicated your life to the specific uh, uh, one who, who is Dracula. Now, what made you want to get into that um, just specific singular vampire? Well, I think like so many of these things, it started with a paper in college and uh, the the topic that I submitted did not get approved. And therefore, uh, my professor said, hey, why don't you write about Dracula? The school where I was going offers a, offered a vampire studies uh, a master's. It's only like a, only like a year and a half. So I figure uh, I can live at home. Uh, you know, I don't have to I don't have to get a job quite yet. I get this Dracula degree. Hmm. Uh, next thing you know, the the, the school uh, starts. Uh, they start a, they start a, a Ph.D. program. I was one of the amongst the first class. So, uh, uh, you know, I guess it just kind of, it, it found me. I maybe it's, it, it found me, I guess. Uh, and then it's just Dracula is so fascinating. You, 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 the, the second you learn two things, you just, you fall in love. So. Now, yeah. are we wow. It really yeah. sounds like it was some, some kismet, like you were in the right place at the right time. It really was. To, here's the thing. I was going to go out for football that year, uh, but then, uh, you know, lo and behold, yeah, 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 40 time was bad. I bummed, I bummed me. Anyway, uh, I wind up in this class. Uh, and, you know, I'm trying to write about football. I was going to write about when Bo Jackson, when he broke his hip. Mm -hmm. I was going to write a paper about that. She said, you know, I don't think that there's enough sources uh, for you to find to write a, to write a long enough paper. And then she said, how about Dracula? Uh, and, you know, and we were off. Yeah. Yeah, we know the rest from there. Yeah. 
Now, in your research, because I know you've been doing this for many years now, and, you know, we, we all fall into things from time to time. I mean, you didn't set out to live this life, but obviously nah, no. it has become incredibly important to you to dedicate years now. Um, in the beginning, did you focus on Dracula as a person or were you trying to um, – you know, debunk vampires. You're trying to figure out who the person was. Or, you know, are we looking at Vlad the Impaler, the historical context of it? Uh, run us through kind of where you started in your research. Well, I started reading the book, the Bram Stoker, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Which first, if I could, as a sidebar, I feel like that guy, I, I don't know. He was, I'm not a fan. Just not a fan of his writing, but uh started with the Bram Stoker. Uh and I was like, who got into it? It was who is this guy? You know, like who is like who who does who is he who is the real guy? Like I thought the writing sucked, but the guy I thought was really interesting. So uh got a little bit more into it. And uh yeah, that, that obviously led led me to Vlad the Impaler, which was uh you know, that's a whole, that was a whole year and a half of my life, honestly, that uh, I spent just, uh, just uh, immersed, I think, in the material. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, 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 I didn't know he was Romanian. I didn't know any, I, up to that point, I didn't, I couldn't name any Romanian people that are living or dead. But uh, I learned that uh, pretty early on. And he was just, a fun guy, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> That's one way to describe I mean, it, yeah. He had the impaling, and that was an aspect of his personality and of his life. But, you know, he, he was in the botany. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, he loved bees, which a lot of people don't know. So uh, he's a rich, 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 rich guy to, to learn about and to study. You know, this was all going on mid mid 1400s so uh you know most of the common people just they didn't have a clue as far as what was going on in the world like you know the the shape the size any of that shit so so you know we're we're looking at someone that was around the 1400s from what i understand he was sort of a, a ruthless killer I, I think he got the name by being able to uh, impale mm-hmm. his victims on stakes. Um, and I mean, honestly, all of my um, knowledge of Vlad the Impaler comes from um, <laughs> this new movie, a newer, I think it was around, um, you know, 2012, I think it was called Dracula Untold, where they, they sort of <laughs> went through this weird uh, history of Dracula and they kind of talked about how he was just trying to protect his family and he was, um, you know, a, a ruthless, um, you know, general in a Transylvanian army and, uh, you know, ended up... I, I, I mean, I got, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think yeah. I got to intercede because I think we we're saying ruthless by, you know, today's standards. But I think if we were all back living in, you know, the mid 15th century, I think we would be probably a lot more ruthless, quote, than we are and all that shit right now, you know, mm-hmm. because if it's like your wife and your dog and you've got a kid or three or so, whatever, you know, you got your wife and your kids and then... You know, there's no police or anything, you know, so you may have to stab some people sometimes. It was probably <laughs> just there's a lot more just stabbing on a daily basis and things like that that were going on. So uh, so you think this was something normal that people engaged in back well, then? I don't think it was. I mean, obviously, he was on the, uh, the, the high end of the spectrum in terms of stabbings on a daily and, you know, impaling obviously was heavier with him. Than probably most people, but let's say it like this: He was a more he was a he was a very heavy uh, participant in a practice that was more common today than it or then than it is today. Is, it, yeah. is that a fair way to, to put it? Yeah, I, I th- yeah, you know, I think so. I think you know he was a passionate warlord. Yeah, that's a so, great. You know, passionate what, warlord was the name of a passion project that I was working on. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think that behavior is was. Um, you know, again, you know, it was more commonplace back then. And he uh, was in a 
position of power. So that kind of, you know, translated into a lot of these actions. Um, but, uh, you know, in, stabbing and appealing aside, um, you know, a lot of the literature brings in, you know, drinking blood and, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, whether it's flying or uh, turning into bats or animals. And, uh, you know, one thing we always try and do here on uh, Real True Facts is separate the, the fact from the fiction. Um, you know, so what kind of what what's real? What uh, from your research? What do you ha- have? Uh, what kind of facts are uh, backed up and what is just, you know, blown out of proportion and just fantasy uh well we should i think take it maybe kind of beat by beat there but we'll start with drinking blood and that's kind of uh back to the stabbing i think uh it wasn't it wasn't that everybody was drinking blood all the time but certainly more people were drinking blood on a regular basis back in the 15th century than they are today so uh you know you you think about that in terms of uh the water you know, the water that was available to drink was uh, not the cleanest, you know, not always even available. So you're going to drink other things. You're going to drink meat. You're going to drink milk. And some people are going to drink blood, especially uh, if there's a high instance, you know, high rate of stabbings during throughout the course of the day. Ergo de facto, you're going to have more access to blood. Ergo de facto, you're going to drink more blood. Hmm. Hmm. So drinking blood was a more, it, it was safer than the water, which I hear a lot of stories about, especially during the Dark Ages. Um, people I drank mean, alcohol, they drank beer all the time because it was safer than the water. Exactly, because the water was just the cesspool of, of everybody's filth of the day, just all swimming together, you know, so there was no telling what you're going to get uh, drinking if you just drank water. So a lot of people were drinking uh wine more beer like i said you know a lot of people were drinking blood if you had uh if you if, if you're stabbing a lot of stabbing a lot of things and paling a lot of things that that and blood is what you have the most access to then you're going to drink blood more than more than the average guy so those those kind of correlate uh together the impalings and the blood drinking uh just as kind of uh you know practical practical matter practical choice uh in daily life, you know. Yeah. And now you know, we spoke with Dr. Seymour uh, briefly at the beginning of the show about um, the concept of vampires not being able to go out in the daytime. Uh, we, we see that a lot throughout uh, pop culture depictions, um, stories, things like that. Uh, in your research, have you found that that is true in the case of Dracula or, or other vampires that you've studied? Ah, well, it's really hard to pinpoint whether it's uh, started as a choice or if it was always been a necessity. It's definitely, amongst vampires today, it's definitely a necessity that, you know, must stay indoors. But uh, it's hard to tell if uh, there's there's some some evidence to indicate that maybe they evolved to that point. Because with the terms of Vlad the Impaler... You know, uh, there was a lot going going out at night just because uh, that was his lifestyle. Uh, even prior to the impalings uh, uh, becoming a part of his day day to day, he was just going out a lot at night. Uh, uh, well, people would go look at a cow, or they would go maybe by a lake back in those days, or into a, the woods. Uh, so, you know, he was just already going to be out at night a lot more than uh, than than your average person. So. Uh, Right. That's actually kind of harkens back to a point Dr. Seymour made about uh, the cyclical nature of it, you know, about how if he's, you know, going out at night all the time and then he passes on these traits or, you know, it becomes more severe. So by the time we get to modern day, you know, maybe that's what, you know, and then now they have to go out at night because of the, you know, the cyclical nature of uh, this evolution, uh, you know, in vampires. And yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. That's uh, all of our research at the, uh, at the AVIR has, uh, has really led to, uh, for us at the Institute to really, to really believe in a vampiric uh, evolution. Uh, and, in, and, you know, like you said, a lot of it kind of just, it's, it's, it starts, uh, it starts with uh, with Dracula, and uh, he's kind of yeah. Uh, if you want to think of him as maybe like a patient zero, or uh, and then and then it kind of as 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 uh, more vampires are, are made, 
it just it it, it grows and it, it it becomes woven into the uh, to the fabric of of what it means to be a, a vampire. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So instead of this kind of horror look at it that you know and and maybe that's one of the reasons you didn't like Bram Stoker was just because of the uh, sensationalism of vampires but you know we're looking at Dracula if we consider him a patient zero to have all of these traits and just kind of be a product of his time and environment and having to adapt to some of these behaviors for instance the water not being clean and so you have to find other things to get nutrition from or you know if it's the dark ages or or whatever you know with his lifestyle um being able to just go out at night that's how he lived you know those those tales get woven and retold over and over again until you end up having something that is like a traditional uh, horror monster of a vampire. But, you know, what you're saying here is that that probably was not the case. And yeah, exactly. And uh, I, we, we tend to, uh, we, we tend to things that we're scared of and that we don't understand. We tend to make it, you know, this big, bad thing, you know, we make more of it than what it is so that, uh, so that we can justify our fear and, and kind of, uh, kind of explain away uh, these feelings that we're feeling. But a lot of times it's just uh, it's just a case of, uh, you know, you and me are very different. And that's uh, that's all that we can really say about it. You know, the good and evil and uh, who's, whose intentions are right and wrong is, uh, you know, that's not for us to decide. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's not for us to decide. That's really – yeah, that we deal with this kind of uh, moral ambiguity uh, every week on Real True Facts. And I think that's a really good note to, uh, you know, for myself and for our listeners yeah. to maybe ruminate on and, and take a quick break. So, uh, you know, whenever morals come into play, I, I feel kind like of need a, 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 <laughs> yeah. a minute. <laughs> yeah, my, my cat is also looking at me in a way that makes me think that maybe there's something in the other room that I need to clean up. So, uh, <laughs> this will be a good well, well, let's take a quick break. We're back from a short break here on Real True Facts, Monster Match, discussing Dracula and vampires this week with uh, Doc French of the AVIR, I believe it, uh, uh, the uh, American Vampiric Institute of Research. Is that is that correct? Uh, well, that, it's the AVIR, AVRI. There's a little bit of the spoon amongst the board. Uh, so, uh, for example, earlier in January, it was, uh, it was the AVRI. And then hmm. the board held a meeting, uh, a simple majority vote. They changed it to uh, AVIR. So we had to change the website. That's gone on three times since then. Um, so honestly, it's going to depend on what time this uh, this episode airs. But uh, I just usually call it the Institute right now because of because uh, it's so it's so frustrating to have to explain to your bank why your paycheck says something different like three times. Within a six-month period, just because Gene thinks that one name is better than the other, and Gene is only on the board because Gene's sister works for the institute, and Gene mm-hmm. is like the CEO of uh, a company that makes wiffle balls or something. So Gene is just there as a token, but his is very frustrating. A lot of infighting. Yeah. So you've, you've been there a long time. How long has this institute been around, and, and how long have you been there? Uh, the institute was founded in 1997, and uh, I came on in 2004 uh, after I f- completed my schooling. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what's – gosh, going on 25 years, which – uh, we are the oldest vampire research institute in the nation – and uh, the sixth oldest in uh, in North America, so that's uh, it's not that's not nothing. Yeah. No, that that's not. Um, so we we tend to ask, um, you know, when we're dealing with uh, creatures, monsters, beings that are depicted in pop culture all the time, uh, we want to know who gets it right, who doesn't. Um, you know, we mentioned a few things in the beginning of the show, you know, uh, Buffy, Nosferatu, uh, Twilight, which I guess is regarded as, as not very accurate. But who gets it right in pop culture? Are there any movies or TV shows out there that you watch and you go, oh, yeah, 
Like that's the depiction of vampires that I've been studying my entire career. Uh, honestly, that's that's a really hard question to answer. Uh, it's kind of like asking uh, what movie got the depiction of of the human race right. But I think uh, honestly, uh, uh, Count Dracula a little bit, in just the sense of uh, you know the fact that the vampires aren't always scary. Also, the, the, t- the TV series True Blood, I think, was a great depiction of the vast uh, desires that, uh, that, that that exists within the vampire community. It's kind of like uh, asking that question. It's kind of like asking, you know, what movie shows the human race right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, well, you don't know, take like the movie Blue Chips. So, you know, like Nick, Nick Nolte plays a college basketball coach who loves his job and just cares about doing a great job. And there's a lot of people like that. But not everybody's going to like, uh, you know, go as far as to cheat like he did. And, you know, Shaquille O'Neal plays a basketball player who's, you know, huge. He's seven feet tall. And that's that's some people, but not everyone. Mm, sure, uh, Anthony sure. Hardaway plays a uh, he, uh, he played a, a kid who was just trying to help his family. He had basketball. Mm. You know, that was him. And that was a real accurate depiction of him. But, you know, uh, not everyone's going to cheat to get uh, to get, you know, a five star center. So uh, I think True Blood, as far as the fact that it shows, uh, you know, the vast the, the vast types of personalities and, uh, you know, the vast array of uh, you know, uh, differences that exist with vampires. Uh, some vampires can fly from what we understand at the Institute. A lot of, a lot of evidence to indicate that. Uh, but not all of them. Uh, it's just, you know, like I said, it's like some some of us uh, can't slam dunk on a 10-foot hoop, but some, uh, some people can. Okay. That's actually, it's interesting that you brought that up because that was actually going to be my next question was, you know, kind of related to those. I, super- I can't dunk if that was. Oh, no. I mean, we, we wouldn't no. expect Can you? No. no. Well. What? Well. Um, I guess it's been you a while. Know. You don't know yeah. if you don't try, and you don't, you know. Yeah, in the, in the bunker, I, that's a that's a that's a good uh, a good suggestion. I, I'll have to set up a regulation at least height uh, hoop here in the bunker. But um, just just, you know, try, just try to touch the net first, and then go from there. I would say. Yeah, yeah, and and doing I, I've yeah reps, high reps, I believe, is what can really. Uh, and then those shoes, I think. Um, yeah, those special shoes. I got those. Uh, yeah. So it's I'll, like I'll I say, have, just because I don't, just because I can't dunk today, you know, doesn't mean for tomorrow that I can't. Right. Right. And then, right. And speaking of dunking and, you know, these superhuman abilities, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some vampires can fly, some can't, uh, so, you know, so would that uh, then uh, translate to some vampires can, you know, uh, uh, transform? And others can't, or what? Um, you know, some of these uh, more <clears throat> impressive abilities and powers. Um, you know, in your research, which ones have you found to be just uh, totally made up, and others that uh, your research shows are, you know, some can do and some can't? Uh, we 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 found us uh, with with regard to transforming. Um, it's really not very common. There's a few instances uh it's maybe like two dozen bats though like these shows where you see in it's a vampire then he turns into 100 bats Mm -hmm. that's that's too many bats it's uh a lot of vampires can turn into one bat and that's probably the most common but Mm. it's always bats and it's no more than like 24 25 at the very most uh that's just some vampires that's maybe like three percent uh, from what our research has indicated, yeah. and that's uh, through both uh, a lot of we do, we conduct a lot of polls amongst the vampire community, and then we also do just a lot of independent uh, anecdotal and observational research uh, uh, going out at the night. Uh, we have a lot of uh, we have a good deal a good deal of vampire on our staff uh, who. Uh, we'll go out in the night and observe among the vampire community. See. Uh, who transforms? If so, how many bats, etc. Uh, so there's a good mix of uh, you know feedback directly from the community as well as uh, observational research that, that's mm. you know compiled those numbers. Yeah, because that was one of my next questions: was if you had ever actually met or encountered a vampire. But it sounds like you're working directly with them. So we are dealing with uh, descendants probably from the very first vampire and. 
you know, we're looking at uh, instances where we have confirmation that they can shapeshift. Maybe it's been exaggerated over the generations, but they are transforming. They are taking the shape of bats, um, you know, and, and, and they're furthering research, which I think is really cool. Yeah, well, uh, that's one of the things that the Institute is all about is the research and uh, just trying to figure things out with vampires. A lot of what we're trying to do is figure out, like, uh, is there some things that vampires might be good at that, that we're not as good at as far as regular humans and things that they may be able to help with uh, at night a lot is what we're looking at mostly. Um, just trying to, like, get things places faster. Uh, although Amazon is pretty hard to compete with as far as that goes right now. So uh, I've got that two day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I ordered a pair of pants earlier in last week. I thought they were going to get there the next day. I go outside like six hours later. They're in my, they're, they're in front of my door. So blew my mind. That's, that's some vampire technology. Maybe. Um, I well, wanted to ask though, the because fastest we can do with the vampires, oh. like 12 hours. So that's, <laughs> that's something else completely. Um, but yeah. you're, you're talking about them being able to see at night. And, and when I think about extraordinary abilities like that or speed or night vision, I automatically think of, uh, the government maybe trying to get a hold of this technology or abilities to either weaponize or to to use um, on a militaristic level. Um, what are some practical applications, or, or are you being courted by the military at all to um, you know have these have these uh, vampires work for them? Uh, I'm not at liberty to, to discuss a lot of the the particulars of that answer. To be very honest with you, but I will say that we do from time to time, communicate with the United States government and we cooperate fully uh, with the government of the United States. And, uh, you know, from, from, from time to time, that does include, you know, just some cooperation on our part and some helpfulness. Uh, and a lot of, uh, you know, what we're asked to do is a lot of just not ask, you know, Hey, what's this for? But just, you know, just kind of give them an answer and say yes or no, if we can do that and, you know, et cetera. So that's probably more than I should say mm-hmm. on the subject already. But, uh, uh, we do, we, we do at times cooperate and work with the, uh, the government of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So that, that kind of then leads me, you know, the, on the topic of weaponization, uh, to possibly our, you know, our, our question of defense, uh, you know, the, the two parter, first of all, how could, uh, you know, a normal person like, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, myself or Eliza, you know, first of all, how could we possibly recognize that we are in the, the company of a vampire? And then, um, secondly, what uh, would be the best ways to, if we felt threatened to kind of defend ourselves? Uh, well, I'm going to answer the, the part about how to recognize if you are in the company of a vampire first. Uh, one thing is that most vampires are either very pale or they're very tan, but it's not, you know, it's kind of tan that just doesn't look exactly right, you know. Mm. Uh, so that's one thing to look out for, extremities uh, and, and skin tone. Uh, like, yeah, like a fake you know, tan, like a spray yeah, tan? Yeah, like a fake tan or just like a paint on tan, or like uh, like a just heavy foundation yeah. Uh, you know, depending on the vampire, um, a lot of vampires uh, are older, and a lot of them, therefore, you know, they look young because once you become a vampire, the aging, the, you know, you you stop. You basically like preserve the whatever. You know, like if you're 29, you're gonna be 29 looking for for the rest of the time. But uh, you know, you're gonna get older, but you're gonna still look like you're 29 or whatever. But uh, one thing is they don't uh, – it's hard for them to figure out what the dress like sometimes to look cool. Uh, so it, a lot of the times they just they, – they don't dress right. So that's one thing to look out for, like uh, like a suspenders and belt combination. Yeah. Mm. Especially on a younger person or like uh, – you know, like say if they're wearing like Nike shoes, but then they have like an uh, they have an, uh, Adidas pants. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a good that's just a real subtle but good sign. Yeah, mixing uh, brands. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, mixing brands is a big thing for, that they don't know about. Uh, and then a lot of them, in terms of the men, a lot of them, uh, 
a lot of them prefer to be clean shaven on the face. So uh, if it's a clean shaven man, it's like a 50% chance, at least uh, in most parts of America, it's like a 50% chance that a clean shaven man could be a vampire. So, mm. okay. And yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I think it's the, uh, the chance that they may cut themselves, you know, the blood is almost sure. uh, for some of us, uh, you know, it's like sexual almost. So yeah. Mm. I think that's yeah. part. That's part of it. It's like the a fetish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fetish, uh, fetish community within the vampire community. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of how to defend yourself against a vampire, uh, you know, yeah. There's the silver. Have all vampires are a little bit. Uh, they have a what would you call it? Uh, like a. Uh, they have an, not an intolerance, but they you know. Like yeah, an allergy? Yeah, it's not even some of some of it's not even an allergy. It's just kind of a you know like a little bit of an irritation for them, you know. So, but they all will have a negative response to silver. Some of them it's like can, if you spray it in their eyes, it'll blind them. Some of them it's just going to sting a little, you know. Uh, that kind of depends on the vampire. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> garlic is is, is uh, very effective. That's probably your best friend. I always have a shaker of. Uh, the, the granulated garlic in per unit is not as uh, potent as fresh garlic. Like if you minced it fresh, uh, but who has the time to mince fresh garlic in the event of a you know an aggressive vampire? Uh, so I always carry a little fresh garlic in my car, or but sorry, a little uh, granulated garlic in my car just in case I need to uh, you know form a perimeter or anything like that. Yeah, I find that's the best way. Uh, and then it's, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, conversation, just uh, talking things through. You know, mm. I found a lot of that is, at the Institute's helpful. Um, you know, we had this one guy, he came in real hot. You know, he said, you know, he, he joined us, uh, he joined us t- t- 2009, uh, came out of uh, came out of Wall Street and was a victim of the, uh, you know, the recession. So that's how that's how he came to us. You know, he he'd had all this uh, financial whiz bang power that he'd been using on wall street and then you know that the, the bottom fell out of that so he was available he, he decided to use his vampire knowledge came over to us came in hot just telling us uh all the shit that he uh that he knows about uh you know i know how all the vampires are i know what's up i'm mm-hmm. very uh within the community and then uh you know, I just told him, listen, like you may know a lot about uh, your life as a, as a vampire, but we know a lot about like the history of vampires here at the Institute. We've done a lot. Of, we, we've done our research. We know. Uh, so I know that, you know, and you have things to bring to the table, but you got to accept that we have things to bring to the table. And he took that well. And we uh, we really formed a partnership and that became a friendship. And, uh, you know, so talking it through is you can't have a can't have a uh, underestimate the power of that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, our, our biggest line of defense, probably just one-on-one communication. Uh, yeah, I mean, if the vampire's a dick, you may want to just spray him in the throat with some silver <laughs> first, but it, it, it all depends, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Maybe yeah, talking it out. Yeah. That's a good, just for life, that's always a good idea first. Yeah. Just try to talk it out. Yeah, I mean, now that we know they're for sure among us, we have the ways that we can spot them. It just, yeah. it certainly helps, you know, to be able to relate to someone other than you on a human level. And they're not um, trying to, they're not trying to hurt you. You know, most of them, yeah. most of them are cool. Most yeah. of them, you know, you know, they may want to, you know, it's normal. I think a lot of people should know this. It's normal for them to ask you about your blood. Hmm. A lot of people, they say, you know, Doctor Doc French, I met this uh, I met this vampire. First thing he asked, well, "What's my blood type?" Well, you know, I know for you and me that makes feel like a threatening question, but for them, that's just uh, that's like kind of uh, like hair color almost. You know, it's mm. just a, really a prominent and important identifying uh, feature. So, uh, you know, don't be offended if uh, if a, if a vampire does talk about blood a lot. If they talk about it too much, that's probably a good sign that they're going to try to. Um, either kill you or eat you or both mm. uh but that's uh that's pretty rare you know it's like when you go to somebody's apartment you're like oh that's really nice so if you don't mind me asking how much is your rent i mean i guess that's sort of like 
oh, you know, nice to meet you. If you don't mind me asking, what's your blood type? It's like, yeah. it's just something that they're interested in, I guess. You just yeah. have to be open, open to it. And it's like you go to somebody's apartment, there's about as good of a chance that you're going to get murdered by that person <laughs> as you are going to get eaten, killed, you know, by a vampire. So uh, I think that's a really important takeaway for folks who are new to the uh, the subjects to to go home with uh, as they listen. You know, it's like there's some vampires that you should be very scared of and very threatening, threatened by, but it's, uh, you know, the, it's an individual by individual basis. Sure. And that seems to be uh, what we uh, reinforce almost every week here on Real True Facts, uh, that, you know, you're going to have um, good and bad anything. You know, you're going to have... Uh, good and bad werewolves, good and bad vampires. Uh, it, you know they're not all inherently evil, and it's I think that's. Even. I got a, I got a, I got a bag of peanuts on the flight over, at the board meeting earlier. I got a bag of peanuts on the flight out. Terrific, honey roasted, They're so good. Flight back, I got another bag because I figured, you know, uh, loved the first bag so much, but this bag at on the way home was not as good. So, you know, just to to your point. Not all peanuts. <laughs> They're not all good. They're not all bad. Yeah, humans yeah. are the same way. I mean, yeah, it's maybe just you... about the same with everything. Yeah, about the same with anything. Sure. You know, sure. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's deep. Um, Doc French, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for joining us for our last week of the Real True Facts Monster Mash, talking about vampires, Dracula, peanuts. <laughs> Uh, Nike, Adidas, everything under the sun. So, um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming in. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, best of luck with your future research. Uh, if, if anyone out there is listening, guys, uh, stay tuned. Uh, the website is currently down pending the next board meeting to determine the final name of the institute. But uh, either avir.edu or avri.ev. You, that's the best place to go to uh, find out what we're doing and to also donate if you're so inclined just to see how you can get involved. Uh, yeah, and just uh, remember, there's, there's vampires everywhere. Some of them are cool. Some of them will help you start your car and stuff like that. And some of them are trying to eat your blood. Yeah. Stay safe out there. Uh, Doc French, again, thank you so much. Uh, we'll take a mm-hmm. quick break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back to Real True Facts, we'll open up our Real True Facts mailbag. back from our final break on real true facts and we've got a spooky mailbag question tonight uh we've been um asking all of our listeners to weigh in on their favorite uh females in horror all their favorite monsters and so mm. we, we asked a couple questions there we actually got uh, a, a nice question in response okay yeah i'm interested yeah. So uh, Ryland from Orange County writes in response to our uh, question, who is your favorite female in horror? And he says, uh, Erica Christensen and swim fans scared the shit out of me. Uh, are women villains in horror a modern concept? Uh, which I think is, is cool to ask because you know we were trying to think of some classic ones and we really were having a hard time. Yeah, and that's a good point. Uh, there are some really great modern uh, female um, villains. I don't know if they're monster. You know, the kind of a, a the same kind of monster. Because as soon as you know, you mentioned swim fan, I'm thinking of uh, Fatal Instinct or mm-hmm. no, base, Basic Instinct. And yeah, Basic Sharon, Instinct. Yeah, Sharon Stone and um, you know perhaps the Femme Fatale. And there's just you know some really great uh, female kind of uh, psychological villains. Whether it's yeah. Um, uh, basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction, you know, mm-hmm. with Glenn, Glenn Close, uh, single white female. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, we uh, so we, we posed the question on our Instagram, which you can find at Real True Facts Graham. Uh, we ask a lot of questions on there, so you can always get engaged that way. But uh, someone else brought up uh, Evil Dead. They brought up the old woman or the the demon from Evil Dead, which was a great. Uh, horror icon, albeit still very modern, uh, but another great uh, example as well. What is what was the 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 demon from the Evil Dead? It was, uh, if I remember correctly, they um, one of the women in the in, in like the camping party got possessed, and they they trapped her 
underneath the floorboards, I guess in the cellar, and so she kept popping up from underneath the floorboards. It was chained, and so she just had this, like, crazed face, and I, I believe it was a possession. Okay. Uh, from that, which I, I know is was, was like a, a comedy horror, but still, I mean, the I mean, all that's all practical effects there. So that's I mean, that's terrifying makeup and and uh, movie. So I, you know, I, I don't think that was based on anything in real life. But I mean, we know that that possessions happen. So you know, if we're we're looking at that, I mean, obviously we've got witches, we've got you know the Exorcist. That's a great you know female in horror. But you know, the the question of of female villains, I guess, monsters, if we were looking at Dracula or something like that, I, I guess that is a modern concept because all of our examples are uh, maybe women in real life that maybe were scorned and so they have some kind of motivation to act out or we have, uh, you know, modern possessions. If we look at the exorcist, you know, that was a, a little girl that just happened to become possessed. So they didn't start out evil. Yeah, uh, and the exorcist is a little, um, that's a difficult one because I, I believe the demon uh, possessing um, uh, the child, uh, Regan, was uh, Pazuzu, I believe. Yeah, that's exactly um, it. Yeah. yeah, so I, you know, demons, I, I, I guess gender gets a little um, uh, more... Uh, uh, more difficult to pin down, but yeah, and uh, um, the hand that rocks the cradle. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, as, as we go on, uh, you know, uh, 80s and 90s <laughs> movies will just kind of flash in my head. Yeah, because oh. you know, if we think about stories, especially with the Invisible Man and in that movie, um, or even the Wolfman, we're looking at instances where. Uh, the women were typically in distress or they were the love interest or mm -hmm. or victims mm -hmm. and and I think as we go on especially in the 70s 80s and 90s we start seeing this shift of uh, women kind of taking on more of a villainous role uh, rather than just playing uh, the damsel in distress so you know maybe to answer that question, maybe that is a very modern concept because back in the day, the monsters were just male because the women, they probably didn't think they had it in them to be a villain. Yeah, it's kind of uh, these classic monsters, if we're going from, you know, maybe perhaps a movie or a literature standpoint or a reflection of our society. You know, we don't have, uh, we, we, we don't, uh, didn't give women uh, very many rights. So, you know, they weren't seen as uh powerful whether it was There's a uh, threat yeah positive <laughs> or negative yeah. Um, and they weren't uh, given uh, a lot of times the opportunity to create these stories or you know and uh, create things that uh, and if they were then maybe they would create uh, heroes or heroines that were more relatable um, so now you know we finally become a little more um, enlightened so we know that uh, you know uh, uh, females uh, enjoy some of the you know, creative power that they deserve so we can have some modern tales. Uh, we still have, unfortunately, we still have uh, some work to do as far as yeah, giving, yeah. giving uh, females and, uh, you know, uh, some other folks who aren't, um, you know, white, middle-aged yeah. white men. Uh, we still have some, a uh, little bit of work to do. To, Representation. And yeah. I didn't even realize this, like, as we were going through research, it was you that brought all this up initially. And and I remember thinking, oh yeah, there's there's definitely uh, classic, you know, there's definitely female monsters. And I thought of La Llorona and the you know the Wailing Bride and all that stuff. And that was really <laughs> the only one I could come up with. Everything else was just modern. Or you know, I think about like uh, Disney villainesses like Cruella Deville. Like she's definitely a bad guy, but classic, not in that sense. Yeah, and they're even, I mean, if we take it a, a, another step and, uh, you know, past gender and even go to race, I mean, they're kind of, they're kind of middle-aged white guys, right? Yeah. Even, you know, Dracula <laughs> is usually a middle-aged white guy. Even, yeah. you know, Frankenstein, middle-aged middle white guy. Middle-aged white guy, yeah. You know, Wolfman, middle-aged, you know, even, um, you know, like a, a, the, a creature from the Black Lagoon. I'm not as familiar with that, but just the way, <laughs> he, yeah, just the way he, he carries himself, it's... <laughs> You know, gonna be a middle-aged white guy. Yeah, I mean, 
It prob- probably. So, uh, I mean, then we brought up Bride of Frankenstein, and it's like, well, okay, well, was she even a monster or an, an object of desire? You know, we yeah, we yeah, don't, we an don't, accessory, we, unfortunately. Yeah, an accessory, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it is a modern concept, and and as horror progresses, I would really love to see that. And you know, I, I still pose this question: if there are any that we are leaving out, especially um, from different countries, because I know we have listeners from all. Over the world if there is um a, a legend or or a story or something uh, that features a female creature uh outside of monster mash or not let us know you can email us at mail at realtruefactspodcast.com or you can message us on instagram at realtruefactsgram let us know because we want to keep doing our research here <laughs> we want to get away from all the middle-aged white guys <laughs> so but, uh, but let us know. Um, you can find more info about our shows on our Instagram and um, answer questions that we post there, polls, um, you know, different featurettes behind the guests on our show. And it's just a great way for us to connect with everybody. Yep. And, uh, you know, another good way to communicate with us is uh, leave a, a review uh, or a message on, um, you know, whether it's Apple or uh, Google or one of the platforms, mm-hmm. um, you know, leave a rating and a, and a review. Um, those always help out and uh, are, are another good way to, to communicate your thoughts. Yes. Yes, please do. Yeah. Keep tuning in. Tell your friends. Um, the more people listen to us, better we can do our jobs. You know, this is a public service that we provide to everybody. And we want to make sure that we're putting the best possible content out there. Uh, so please send us an email, leave a review and let us know if, if there's any platform that we're not on that we should be on, which I think is impossible at this point. I think we're, <laughs> we're everywhere now. But if there is uh, one that we're not on, let us know and we'll make sure and get on that, too. So I think that'll do it for us today. I'd like to thank Dr. Seymour again. I'd love to thank our exceptional guest, Doc French, uh, from the AVIR or the AVRI, depending on what day of the week it is. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you to all of our listeners from all over the world who keep tuning in. Uh, Monster Mash was a success. So thank you for our uh, tuning into our multi-week experiment. Hopefully you enjoyed the uh, long Halloween season as we did. And also, like we always say, keep questioning your world. Because just because you read about it or hear about it doesn't mean it's true. We'll see you next time for another episode of Real True Facts. Thank <laughs> you.